for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys. I am Kate Willett. I'm Julia Clare. And this is the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. Kate, how are you doing? How are we? <laughs> how are we? How are we, folks? I have no idea. I don't know why I turn into Casey James Lango uh, <laughs> sometimes. I got a real NPR lady vibe off that one. Oh, really? Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah. That, that, I, that's you know that's going to be my, I think that's going to be the second act of my career is just being a humorless person on NPR. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's it's in some sense what we're doing here. We're like uh, edgy NPR ladies, just like a little more left, a little more acid. Um, although Terry Gross takes acid, I was talking to my friend Steve Hernandez, who is a listener to our podcast, and he was like, "You talk about psychedelics on that podcast a lot," and I realized I do. It's more like a, I think because it's like a new thing for me uh, that I did not do it for a long time, and I'm like, this is neat. It's like how when a college student learns about like feminism for the first time <laughs> oh i saw yeah uh casey casey musgraves i think was talking about how she and she's like a she's a country artist and she i i really love her because she talks a lot about uh taking psychedelics she is like she loves lsd <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know that much about her, but you know who her I want to talk about this week? Lana Del Rey. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> Finish your Casey Musgraves sentence. No, no, no. She's very good, and I she's like one of the she's one of the country artists, and I think is good. One of the only ones that I really like. But let's talk about Norman fucking Rockwell. Yeah. So I uh, didn't really know or care about Lana Del Rey that much. Like I would heard a couple of her songs, and I thought they were fine, but mm -hmm. I was in no way on the path to stand them mm -hmm. but then i heard norman fucking rockwell and i probably had to listen to that title track maybe a hundred to two hundred <laughs> times in a row before it, i could even move on to another song <laughs> it was playing when i came in here today yeah i it's clearly been very powerful for you yeah i mean i i've reconnected with a very like teen part of myself through this song like the part that just wants to like listen to the same song again and again <laughs> while being upset in a fun way that's that's pretty good i i stand a woman with a with a low register with a deep voice that's yeah i mean it's really good it's uh i mean how could i really not love a song that starts with the lyric goddamn man child yeah. i feel so contemporary you know um the song of our time yeah and i know that this has been said about lana del rey by others who know more than me but i do think that there is something kind of cool and feminist and interesting about the way that she's actually willing to lean in to her desire and her tenderness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it feels like in some ways, I don't know, because I feel like this sometimes as, as a person who makes stuff, <laughs> um, I think I'm always very self-conscious to express like desire or uh, even love in a way that's not ironic. And maybe part of that is because yeah. I'm a comedian, but there is something that still feels very like, cutting edge about her, the way that she's willing to just go to that place of need that yeah. I think that we all feel sometimes. 
Yeah, to just be unapologetic about your sincerity. Yes. It's pretty it's pretty rad. I've also this is weird. I've been listening to um the song that I've been listening to on repeat is Miley Cyrus's new song Slide Away. Oh, I haven't heard it. And I'm I feel I felt the same way about my like I just I was like she's fine whatever. I like her. I've always liked her voice. But yeah, I've listened to that song like a thousand times. I've also gone back in her catalog a little bit. And she has a song in her album, Dead Pets, that is literally the chorus is, I want you to bang my box. And it's like the most unnuanced song about sex I've ever heard in my life in a way that is like just I was laughing listening to it. Bang my box sounds like what an 11 year old boy thinks that sex is. It sounds like an 11 year old boy like lying to his friends. No, totally. Yeah, I banged her box. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh man. It it's, sounds like something that Joe Biden would say <laughs> in private about his friends. Box is definitely the worst synonym for vagina, I think. It's really more uh, cylindrical, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I really like her voice. And it's taken me, because she is who she is, it's been one of those things where it's like taken me a long time to realize that she is actually very talented and. I love her voice, but Lana Del Rey also does a lot for me. And I loved her album, uh, Born to Die. I remember being very into that as an overly emotional, sincere college student. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the other person that I slept on for way too long that is amazing is Lizzo. And I just... I tend to be someone who's not like super up to date on popular things. Like I never know I'm, what's I'm on the TV. Same way. I never listen to music, uh, but I'm, I'm changing a little bit. And I think that it's because there are popular artists right now that are really good. Like mm-hmm. I feel like when I was in like high school and college, it was just like a very trash time for music. <laughs> it was a lot of like emo you know, Fallout Boy, Blink yeah. 182, uh, Jimmy Eat Worlds. And I was just like, okay, nothing popular is good. But now there's like all these amazing female artists that are just making incredible stuff. Yeah. Lizzo's incredible. She, yeah, she's amazing. Her voice is amazing. She had a very good interview with Terry Gross because Terry Gross was so clearly trying to formulate questions. Like Terry Gross is not woke, I would say. Like in- sexually, uh, I think that's fair to say. And so she was trying. Wouldn't it be sort of upsetting if she was? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. She was listening to the kind of lexical gymnastics that Terry Gross was going through, trying to formulate her questions. Was to Lizzo was so funny. <laughs> what it, like what was she saying? One of the questions was about Lizzo being like very. Imp- powered and and confident and it was like it was a it, it was almost just like it wasn't even a question it was like just a a blanket praise of Lizzo and then Lizzo was like are you just saying that because I'm fat <laughs> like is it just like cool that I'm confident because I'm fat and that's that shouldn't be like uh and Terry Gross was just like kind of taken aback by it but yeah it's a good interview if you want to hear uh Terry Gross on her back foot for most of the time 
I mean, goddamn man child, great first line, only topped, I think, by why men great till they they gotta gotta be be great. great. Absolutely. Probably the best first line I've ever heard of a song. Yeah, that's such a good song. I love that album. Um, and I'm, I'm the same way, not with music, um, but with podcast, I'm always so late. Like it took me years to listen to, you must remember this. Um, I didn't, I definitely did not know about the dream until you and Josh told me about it, which by the way, I've listened to all of it now and it's so fucking good. And I think Jane Marie follows both of us now on Twitter. We got to get her on the we show. We got to get her on the show. Um, cause this she's, is a, this is now a Lana Del Rey. Jane Marie. <laughs> Jan podcast. Plan Lizzo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and we hate Joe Biden. We that's, hate Joe Biden. That's the four things that this <laughs> podcast is emerging to become. I guess we also stand. Who do we stand? Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> I'll do them one day. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I'll do them as a project for the show. Here's an interesting thing musically, too. Jagged Little Pill, the musical, is coming to Broadway this November. Jagged Little Pill, the musical, is very triggering for me. Um, And I'll tell you why. Because this was an album that I loved when I was a teen. I mean, you ought to know, such a great song. Uh, Would she go down on you in a theater? An all-time line. An all-time line. Um, About Dave Coulier. Yeah. (laughs) So embarrassing, you know, but just that it was about, about Dave Coulier, yeah. you know, and I've definitely liked people who are more embarrassing than Uncle Joey. But I think for me, um, I think my worst fear uh, creatively is that I would make the comedic equivalent of uh, Jagged Little Pill, the musical, <laughs> like like I've devoted a lot of time to like ridiculing um, crappy guys that I slept with. I don't know three or four times maybe because the people that were in my life for longer than that i don't know i cared more or something i don't want to hurt their feelings but i just there is something like so upsetting to me about the fact that you can make like millions of dollars off of like uh discussing like one crappy guy and yeah. i hope i don't do it but also yeah. alanis morissette rules yeah 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 but also you know make the musical version of liz fair's exile and guyville you cowards oh my god wouldn't that be amazing exile and guyville is probably still it's an all-time yes yeah, it's yeah it's my uh it's probably my greatest of all time i mean i think for me it was just like so amazing to hear that as a teen because of how funny she is yeah like that's a thing that i think a lot of people don't recognize about that album i guess some people recognize but i mean it's hilarious never said is such a funny song yeah help me marry oh yeah yeah that still feels like the song that i like just Whenever I've had too much comedian boy, I put that song on and it makes me feel better. Look, um, if, if any of the the listeners are totally lost right now, you just, I think contextually to understand Kate and me, you should listen to Exile and Guy. <laughs> more so, more to understand probably Kate than me because Kate is cooler. But um, if you want to understand me more, I don't know, you can... Uh, Eat a carrot. Eat a carrot. <laughs> no, go joking. to the go to the head of the Charles uh, <laughs> regatta in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I don't know. I was I've really been miss been homesick for Cambridge lately, which is embarrassing. But you know, I just miss uh, watching Harvard students get hazed by their final club members. You think you ever were in your proximity to Mayor Pete? 
I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Dating apps have been very challenging for me in recent months. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, you know, here's a totally normal question that people ask on dating apps. They'll be like, what do you like to do with your free time? Oh, yeah. What are your hobbies? And I feel like I need to make up something last minute. Because if I say that my hobby is hating mayor pete and joe biden (laughs) that just makes me seem i mean probably it makes me seem like how i actually am so maybe i should uh be honest yeah no i i uh my my new year's resolution was to lie about myself more so i mean what am i supposed to say like i love to go dancing i don't love to go dancing i do like hiking but i live in new york i don't get to do it much you know i mean really what i do with my free time is um read yeah same twitter and then meet up with my friends in real life to and, talk about uh, to twitter. talk about twitter <laughs> yeah we're very sad here on this podcast but i, I actually think it's a good life I, maybe i don't know okay here's the thing that made me feel like twitter is good uh-huh i was meeting with my dad in la i was talking to him uh about political things um i had never actually talked to a Joe Biden supporter in real life. And I wasn't sure they were real. And then I did talk to one and it was my own father. That is what I come from. And, you know, I was trying to explain to my dad why I think that Joe Biden is bad and how he's taking money from the fossil fuel industry and from big pharma and from health insurance companies. And it's that classic Upton Sinclair quote like it's very difficult to get a man to understand something that his job depends on him not understanding yeah and you know just Biden's legacy with all of his terrible tough on crime legislation his uh, diminishment of sexual harassment I mean it's just you know there's just so many ways that he's gross but I realize that what my dad is is a a well-intentioned boomer who is trying to be well-informed by watching CNN and MSNBC all day long. Mm -hmm. And then I think he probably mixes it up sometimes with the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I think my dad is somebody who cares a lot about knowing what's going on in the world and is probably consuming this media for like maybe even four hours a day sometimes. Like I think he really sits there and watches the news and hates Trump. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm sitting over here, you know, my dad also consumes a lot of news. He reads the Boston Globe every single day, but he's like a Mitt Romney Republican. (laughs) It's a few people have DM'd me because I've talked about my dad so much on the show and people are like, you should have your dad on the show. Oh my God, I would love it. Absolutely not. I my dad. Look, I canceled my dad a long time ago and he's been canceled and he has a lot of bad opinions. I mean, he also hates Trump, but he is still a Republican. So who cares? Uh, you know, you're about as useful as fucking Mitt Romney. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really tough to figure out even how to go forward because But my mom loves Joe Biden. She's not a Democrat either, but she's like, I would say that they're both like Republican or like independent somewhere in there. But like they are like my mom loves Joe Biden. She had a very chaotic. She's a very chaotic crush on Joe Biden, I think, for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's just when it comes to like old white boomers 
who I think are well-intentioned, like my parents are, you know, they, they definitely would describe themselves as people who hate racism and accept gay people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's just, it's tough to kind of get them to think about like even the Obama administration or someone like Rahm Emanuel is being like really bad because I mean, they're just consuming so much center left media. Yeah. Um, and you know, like MSNBC, CNN, they're not reporting on the problems that we have with mm-hmm. someone like Joe Biden, you know? And it's like, if I send my dad an article from like, I don't know, democracy now or the intercept and stuff. I mean, like there's, you know, amazing journalists. Like Amy Goodman is an amazing journalist. Ryan Graham is an amazing journalist, but they're still going to dismiss it as like fake news in some way or propaganda, you know? And it's just, it's one of the many problems of the kind of pervasive center left bias of all of the pretty much mainstream outlets. I'm very confused by my dad's actual stances on things because i think at the end of the day he is a troll my dad is like my was my original troll he was my original reply guy and and here you are and here i am uh with a podcast (laughs) but uh, like i think so much of what he says to me is just to get a rise out of me that like he lives and breathes to get under my skin as any good reply guy would To me, it seems sort of impossible to understand the way that the discourse has moved without Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's kind of where you're seeing people make points that are good and compelling and sort of outside of corporate media. You know, I just I don't know how I can get my uh, 67 year old parents to become extremely online. Um, (laughs) And and when he was talking about this, it was just like my parents are people who went through incredible challenges with the insurance industry. Like, as I've talked about before, they declared medical bankruptcy. I mean, my family was truly devastated by having insurance companies that would not cover my brother's medical treatment mm-hmm. in some cases um or just you know extremely high deductibles and co-pays and i mean talking you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical debt so like if there's anybody that should understand why private insurance is not good it is absolutely my parents but my dad was saying that he really thinks that medicare for all is too far left and that people won't go for it you know and that we shouldn't have uh, insurance taken away from people, you know, like think he's somebody that could really honestly feel for the experience of a, a parent with a child who was very sick and like not being able to take care of them. It just it really frustrated me that like even somebody who has had that experience couldn't make the mental leap to Medicare for all. And I, I think for him, it was just like not politically feasible. And he's still kind of looking at someone like Joe Biden as like uh you know, oh, like, well, he's good. Like, we liked Obama and, you know, just not at all sort of participating in uh, the evolving conversation about the way that, like, the Democratic Party and um, sort of, like, centrism or, uh, like, mainstream liberalism has not uh, really 
met people's needs, you know, and he he was like, I think really mad at me because he's like, well, are you going to vote for Joe Biden if he is the nominee? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, are your friends? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and I think that these people like these uh, resistance boomers or whatever, they still have this narrative that like the reason that Hillary Clinton lost is because there were like some Bernie bros that like just wouldn't vote for her or whatever. Mm. But, you know, it's like it's it's not the New York L.A. Bernie bros that are going to cost Joe Biden the election when he loses if he's the nominee, you know. Um, so I don't know. It's just it's tough, you know, and they're not getting, I think, information outside of like the kind of Rachel Maddow. Trump is collaborating with Russia sort of stuff. And so, you know, you understand why they come to the conclusions that they come to. Um, which I think are from this well-intentioned place of like Trump is very bad. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. is very bad. I mean, and there's ways that they should be able to see the way that like the center left media has kind of duped people. Like, I think my dad was really on board with supporting the Iraq war, you know, and I was like telling him at that time, like, no, like this isn't this isn't real. There are no weapons of mass destruction, you know, and you know, I think like it's weird that people can't see like, oh, yeah, you know, like we, there's been a, an agenda before um, that didn't end up being honest. And, you know, there will be again. There is now, you know, but it's just there was something that happened uh, because uh, we're recording this on September 15th. And so we just had the um, another anniversary of September 11th, the 18th anniversary of September 11th. And there was a lot of weird nostalgia about how quote unified the country was after um 9-11 and I think like I was you know I was 10 years old at the time when 9-11 happened but like looking back on that now and the unity there was definitely a very dark undercurrent to that unity because it was a lot of like overt racism against anyone of seemingly like Middle Eastern origin in this country. Yeah, I don't think that there was unity, actually. I mean, there was a huge, huge anti-war movement. And even when you look back, there were a lot of prominent politicians that were not supporting the Iraq war. No, no, no. Even I'm, like talking about, I'm, talking about even, I'm talking about even because what a lot of people were talking about was like on September 12th. Yeah. To the, it's like the unity was like we have been attacked and we feel like a lot of people felt more patriotic than they ever had before. I know I'm like I know that I remember just seeing like American flags on people's cars, on people's lawns, like everywhere in a way that I never had before. And I, but yeah, again, it's like there was something kind of like sinister about it too, because it concealed a lot of bad elements to that. Rebecca Solnit, who is someone that I love, uh, she has a book called hope in the dark and she talks about the immediate post September 11th unity and the ways that it could have gone, like the ways that it could have actually brought us together as a country um, the ways that it could have encouraged people to look at how U.S. foreign policy has created situations that are more likely to lead to violence. But it was immediately weaponized by powerful people with interest in making money and ginning up support for yeah. these fake ass wars. You know, it didn't it certainly didn't have to be like that. Yeah. You know, speaking of fake ass wars, I think that's a perfect segue to the democratic debate okay perfect <laughs> i was 
unlucky enough to watch all three hours of the debate. I have a lot to say about it. Um, The first thing I want to say is that besides the Medicare for all uh, slash, you know, universal health care conversation, I felt that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren got very little airtime. And I thought that it was disproportionately tilted towards the kind of uh, B team and Joe Biden. (laughs) Um, Like I heard way too much about what Amy Klobuchar thinks and I don't fucking care. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That woman has the least charisma of any, like she's a terrible public speaker. Yeah. She has no lane either. She reminds me so much of my high school principal who we had a vi- we had very small graduating classes, like 200 kids, and she refused to learn how to pronounce any of our names. So on graduation day, she just mispronounced like brutally every single person. That's who Amy Klobuchar reminds me of. She definitely has high school principal energy. Yeah. She, oh, I don't know which is worse. How disingenuous Mayor Pete sounds talking about his bad ideas or how sincere Amy Klobuchar sounds talking about her bad ideas. <laughs> I think Mayor Pete is worse. <laughs> oh, he sounds so because, truly. He sounds so rehearsed. It's like painful. Well, because the thing is, is with Mayor Pete, he's like he's running a con. He's yeah. trying to position himself as a progressive, whereas Amy Klobuchar is like, yeah, I'm a centrist. Yeah, we no, should have centrism. Totally. You know, so you know what you're getting. I was talking to Dave, a uh, friend of the show, David Spector, about this last night, and like Mayor Pete is so uh, confusing and just like befuddling as a candidate because he'll start with something that it sounds like you're going to agree with and then all of a sudden it takes like a sharp turn to basically like a talking point from the heritage foundation like he tees it up and it makes it sound like it's going to be a a left progressive point or something like that and then it's a hard turn to the wall street journal yeah he definitely i don't think came off very well in this debate there was i think a a couple also i want to say that the moderators did a really great job. ABC's moderators were so, I was so pleasantly surprised by them. It was definitely better than absolutely the CNN ones for sure. Um, Oh man. Remember that moment where Biden was calling Bernie a socialist and he's like, for a socialist, you have more faith in corporate America than I do. Yeah. And uh, you could tell that he expected that he was going to get a laugh. And there was, nothing yeah um and everyone needs to chill with the jokes amy klobuchar is terrible about that uh andrew yang please stop making jokes we know that you're a libertarian i'm not fooled by you yeah and andrew yang had the like infomercial giveaway that he's going to give uh 10 people a thousand dollars a month for a year you know what to be honest with you not to be a contrarian but i don't hate it I actually think that the way that Andrew Yang wants to do UBI is very bad. He wants to cut social services in order to have universal basic income. But we're going to need some kind of universal basic income at some point with the way that things are going. And I think that Andrew Yang also, it should be noted, uh, is not a friend of unions. And he's yeah, he is the worst kind of like there is a there's a time and a place to discuss ubi andrew yang is the way he's doing it is the way that conservative like the way that the Koch brothers would like it to be done yeah which is as a total replacement of all other social services yeah so but is it good though that he's getting that idea out there um 
I want to say no, because I think he's because he's doing it in the wrong way, because he's he's attaching UBI to a libertarian mindset. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. I completely agree with that part. But I guess, you know, I tweeted a joke yesterday about how the Yang Gang were tech bros. And I got like a couple Yang Gang reply guys. They were polite. They weren't so bad, but um, they were encouraging me to watch some of the videos with the my yang gang hashtag and i watched this one video and it was this woman who used to be a trump supporter and she was talking about how an extra thousand dollars a month would be a life-changing amount of money for her family because she was a stay-at-home mom and her husband wasn't paid that well and i don't know there was part of me that kind of started i'm definitely not supporting the way that andrew yang wants to do ubi but like there was part of me that started to feel like I don't know, maybe maybe what he's doing by putting UBI on the table and popularizing the idea like is going to kind of show Democrats that there is a path to victory and even maybe potentially winning back some Trump, Trump supporters through these kind of concrete material things that will help people out, which the Democratic Party has mostly stayed away from. Well, and- I mean, I think so. I actually think that a lot of what Andrew Yang talks about just shows the need for robust social welfare programs, not for UBI. The reason why, like totally that, I mean that the woman who said like that it would be a life changing amount of money, it would be a life changing amount of money for a lot of us, but that's because we have no social safety net in this country. Um, and you know, we're not going to like the reason there's a reason why rich people love UBI too, is because it goes to everyone and they, like and the reason why a lot of rich people and a lot of rich conservatives hate social welfare programs is because they only affect people who really need them the new yorker did a a really good article about ubi um a couple of months ago it detailed the the support um from the left and the right about it and obviously the right support it's very uh, dark yeah i mean it's like Oh, man, not to keep bringing this back to myself, but when I was talking to my boomer dad and he was talking about, uh, you know, how like it it sucked that uh, there were some people that couldn't afford insurance and stuff. I don't think that he got that that is me, mm-hmm. you know, as I've said on this show, like if I wanted to buy health insurance in New York on the exchange, I make just over the amount that I would qualify for any subsidies. So it would be four fifty a month, you know, and like that's, you know, I, I, I'm especially for insurance that doesn't cover anything. I, I just take the risk because that's so much money to me, Absolutely. you know, and uh, talking about, yeah, just the kind of lack of economic opportunity for things like people um, owning homes and people like having to pay massive student loans. Like, I don't think that it was really uh in my dad's mind that he was talking about like that the the person that he was describing is like his own kid like i think that boomers still really don't get how bad things are for their children absolutely it's like my dad is somebody that i think in his life really until maybe the past like five years never considered himself to be doing well at all my parents were hit super hard by the 2008 recession my dad was unemployed for like a couple years. I mean, like they had a hard time, but I think that it's tough for like boomers even who have had a hard time to understand that, like, even though 
they perceived themselves as really struggling their whole life and maybe perceived is the wrong word because I think they were really struggling in many cases. Like they're still so much richer than their kids. <laughs> Absolutely. And the children of boomers, millennials are the first generation in America where we will not do as well as our parents. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, and I think that they think that that's our fault to some way. Right. And, you know, and I guess it's like in my parents case, like maybe they have reasons for believing that. Right. Like, I, you know, I probably could have been uh, some other higher paying job than a comedian. But like, let's say even if I had gone to law school, like they wanted me to do my parents really wanted me to be a lawyer. My friends who are lawyers have like thousands of dollars a month in some cases of student loan payments. I know like, it's like $200,000 so to go to Yeah. And they're, they're, not, they're not making a ton of money. Like the, the lawyers that I know, they don't own homes, yeah. you know, they're like, they're still struggling. And I, I think that also it's like our parents, you know, if your parents are boomers, like, like Kate and me, uh, you know, they, when they came of age and when they were entering the workforce, it was when there were still a lot of robust social safety net programs in place that had not yet been eroded by, you know, the Reagan administration, the Clinton administration, the Bushes, like it, and that was a time when unions were extremely powerful. And in the 20th century, the time when um, wealth inequality was the lowest was the 1970s. And that's because we still had a lot of social safety net programs in this country and there was a lot more regulation in this country. Um, and Biden's support is dependent on people who really don't understand how bad things are. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I, I think that there's definitely many people who support Biden because they want to vote for a white guy and they think that everybody else is like a wacko leftist. But I think that there are some people maybe a lot of people uh, who want to vote for him because they don't know that much about him. They thought that Barack Obama was good. They want to return to whatever normal is. You know, they look around and they think that the problem is Trump. And I mean, of course, we think that Trump is the problem, but right. they just don't understand how much deeper the problems go. Right. And I think that, you know, both of our parents are probably like hovering around like boomers are entering retirement. They're yeah. around retirement age. You're inherently more risk averse when you, you know, you've worked your whole life and you want to retire or whatever. And they see anyone who isn't Biden as a risk. And I think that Biden is the biggest risk. Oh yeah. Biden like, will lose. He but will. And, and even if he won, it would take us further backwards. I felt a little better this morning because after I had this debate with my dad about like, you know, do I not believe the polls? Do I not believe that Biden is, you know, doing would do, you know, so well against Trump? Or do I not believe that so many more people support him? And, you know, I, I, I really don't. You know, I, I was trying to make the point that enthusiasm does matter. And you can Absolutely. see with your own eyes that like, there are some candidates that have a ton of people turning out for them. And then there's Biden, you know, mm -hmm. but um, I was looking today uh, in December of 2007, Hillary Clinton was still polling like 18 points ahead of Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. So things can change. This is in no way like a set in stone race for Biden. It is going to be hard. You know, like I think that he's definitely the front runner right now, but it's by, a pretty small margin. And, and I, his support keeps 
eroding, whereas pretty much everyone else in the top four keeps climbing. I'm going to have a straight up Bernie Broment and <laughs> say that I really think that so much of like Biden's lead is very <laughs> manufactured by the media because he's only leading Bernie by like, you know, it's something that we would like be within the margin of error mm-hmm. in a lot of these polls, you know, two, three percentage points, um, you know, especially in like Iowa, New Hampshire and stuff. He's he's not that ahead, you know, but I think that the I media, mean, the media really wants him to be the guy over Bernie or Warren. I just although sometimes the media loves Warren. They also talked about the trade war. And um, I thought Elizabeth Warren said something very smart. Uh, she said um, because basically Joe Biden was kind of framing it as China has all the leverage. And Warren said, no, we have all the leverage. Chi- like every economy wants access to the American market. And we should use that leverage to build a stronger economy domestically and abroad. She said, I want to negotiate with unions at the table, with environmentalists at the table, with farmers at the table. And She's like, we can make a lot of demands and we need to stop acting like we can't. Should we talk a little bit about the California bill? We should. All right. So California um, passed a new bill um, that is going to radically reshape the gig economy in California. So um, this bill. Thank you for flagging this article, by the way, because I had not heard about this at all. And it's kind of huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I I hope to see a lot of other states follow suit. Um, So basically, there's a good article about it in The New Yorker. Yes. Uh, The New York Times covered it as well. I mean, you know, it it hasn't been completely like left out of anything. So I I definitely didn't. I mean, that's my own. So um, what this bill says is that to hire an independent contractor, businesses have to prove that the worker is one free from the company's control Two, doing work that isn't central to the company's business. And three, has an independent business in that industry. So this is going to really change things for Lyft drivers, Uber drivers, food delivery. Um, In California, uh, 8.5% of people in the California workforce in 2016 relied on independent contract work as their primary income. A couple other pertinent facts california has the highest poverty rate in the country so like and it's also Mm -hmm. a very wealthy state so it's just like huge income inequality estimates are that they could cost these companies as much as six billion annually which you know honestly on this podcast we love to see it we love to see it and i also i really hate that framing because that is money that belongs to the workers exactly it's not money that's being taken from the companies. It's money that should have been paid to those workers the whole fucking time. When I was living in LA in 2016, I guess I was part of this statistic. I was driving for Lyft and Uber and I was postmating to make ends meet. And there were many times when I was making like $4 an hour, like delivering food to these mansions. Um, I think Postmates paid like three dollars for delivery three or four dollars and it would take in some cases like an hour to pick up the food wait for it you're responsible for all your own gas all your own car maintenance and then like they want you to be making the majority of your income and tips but nobody has to tip so like a lot of times i would deliver like this like super super expensive food from a very fancy restaurant um that had no parking outside of it so i got a parking ticket um and then i would go there and they would tip maybe like 
one or two dollars if at all if at all you know and it i mean it was it was one of the most demoralizing experiences i've ever had um it it really broke me i mean there was a lot going on in 2016 but just it was it's really fucked up to make four dollars an hour especially no benefits so this bill will do a few things for workers um it'll make them qualify for unemployment insurance paid parental leave healthcare subsidies uh, workers comp paid rest breaks it'll guarantee a $12 an hour minimum wage and also um another thing that we love on this podcast is that it will uh make these workers able to unionize hell yeah so you know this trend towards like everything being like the gig economy and it's like oh you know you can make four dollars an hour but you have freedom it's just like how many times are (laughs) freedom is so weaponized yeah (laughs) like just every time anybody ever gets fucked over in this country there is always a a right winger or a centrist that is willing to frame it as an increase in their freedom well i mean yeah look at the healthcare debate yeah another thing that california did this week uh banned private prisons including ice detention centers this doesn't mean that there won't be ice detention centers and it doesn't mean that there won't be prison but at least it removes the profit motive yeah and that is something that uh we love to see although we wish that it went much, much further, of mm-hmm. course, but a step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, removing the profit motive from prisons and from the healthcare industry are two things that just need to happen, like yeah. on a national level, because we're never going to have even the smallest change in either of those institutions uh, until that happens. Let's go into the reply guide of the week and <laughs> the, the context for this terrible, terrible story. So the reply guy of the week um, is the New York Times. Uh, here's something that the New York Times tweeted. So just to give a little context, um, Brett Kavanaugh has been accused of sexual assault by multiple women. There was uh, a piece last year before the confirmation hearing uh, by Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrow um, that detailed sexual assault allegations from a woman named Deborah Ramirez, who Brett Kavanaugh was in college with. And um, the New York Times has been investigating this for a while. And they they talked to a lot of other sources and a lot of other people that had uh, information or had like t- talked to her at the time, people on campus that... I had heard about this story. And so they, they just went even a little deeper into to sourcing it. And it seems overwhelmingly true. Mm-hmm. Um, but the New York Times uh, opinion Twitter account tweeted, having a penis thrust in your face at a drunken dorm party may seem like harmless fun. But when Brett Kavanaugh did it to her, Deborah Ramirez says it confirmed she didn't belong at Yale in the first place. Who the fuck thinks that having a penis thrust in your face at a... <laughs> really at any kind of party is dorm harmless or fun yeah harmless fun really racist a water balloon fight yeah maybe a throwing a paper airplane at someone i don't know not having a dick thrust in your face yeah i mean it's very clear that a man wrote that tweet um because the article uh in the times was written by two women and it's actually it's a you know for the time it's very good very good article i think um 
But yeah, I mean, they deleted it. They deleted that tweet because they got dragged as they should have been. Yeah, I saw so many. I saw so much drag. What an absolutely absurd phrasing. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know. It's the most famous newspaper in America. How (laughs) the paper of record would like to state that having a dick thrust in your face is harmless harmless fun. fun. Oh my god. And to bring this back to our boy Joe Biden, you know, it's just it'll be it. It'll be a shame for so many reasons if he ends up being the Democratic nominee. But really, it sucks to imagine somebody who also has done some creepy shit in their past. Um, Weird, inappropriate touching and sniffing of women, not at the level that, you know, Trump has, but like but that he's creepy at all. Um, And that also he was so responsible for what happened to Anita Hill. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Like Even like. I mean, even taking his sniffing and touching of women off the table or whatever, like hugging too long or whatever he does. um, Yeah. I mean, just the fact that like, how can we be credible as a party um, for our outrage about what happened to Christine Blasey Ford when the guy who's currently our front runner oversaw the public tarring and feathering of anita hill yeah and it will come back to bite him i mean like it it just gives trump such an easy way to like change the topic you know and you know it's like you know neither elizabeth warren nor bernie sanders are absolutely perfect but i i think that either one of them could speak with moral authority on sexual assault being something that's absolutely wrong and unacceptable and i think that's going to be an important part of defeating trump absolutely and i'd really like to talk about something fun for a second do we have anything fun to talk about well you had your well okay let's talk about the fact that the reason why kate was in california this week is because she was taping a set for comedy central yeah it was it was really fun it was it was a good time i told a lot of jokes about dicks amazing yeah the representation we need yeah I mean, they were feminist jokes about dicks, right? Yeah, I would. I no, I didn't. I didn't expect them to be um, <laughs> MRA jokes about dicks. I'm the one that wrote that New York Times tweet. Yeah, <laughs> harmless fun. Um, we. It's been a long news week. There's been a lot. There were so many things we didn't even get to, like what an asshole Bill Maher is. Oh, yeah. Bill Maher sucks. Um, He's a weird old dad without kids. And he's like truly never hired a woman to write on his show. I think there was one. And she wrote for like she really she wrote for like one episode. Uh, She anyways, he Bill Maher sucks. Bill Maher sucks. And he again, he does all this like, quote, stuff that he thinks that pushes the envelope or whatever. And it's just hack garbage that have been people's bad opinions for decades yeah like you're not edgy for saying that we need to bring back fat shaming are you fucking kidding me yeah there was a a big uh debate about should we bring back fat shaming i think like 10 years ago dan savage really got into it with lindy Lindy west West, and she wrote about it in her book and you know it was i mean it's just 
so many debates that have been had yeah it's been a really full news week uh but felicity huffman's going to jail and and becky may be going to jail too and becky is going to jail and becky going to jail sounds like it would be like a the second full house reference we've made on the show uncle joey and aunt becky yeah um full house a show that hasn't (laughs) aged well um all right well thank you so much for listening and we will be back next Next week. week Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is yours.